you turn with me please to the passage which we read in Nehemiah chapter 8. I'd like to consider with you really the first eight verses. The first eight verses. And in a sense this is the, the, the um, preparation for, for spiritual renewal that we find occurring at this time. Uh, it's one of the attractive features of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that they are so involved in spiritual renewal. There's a, there's a sense in which when we read these books, uh, given their Old Testament context, they are expressive of revival. And they're the sort of things that we should long for. And in, indeed, we may very well be challenged by as we consider the first eight verses of this chapter. So I dare say this is something we should earnestly desire. I hope so. We should desire that the Lord should move in power amongst us, and that souls might be saved amongst us, that souls may be saved through us, and that, 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 that we may enjoy great blessing. There's a sense in which, when you think of it, it seems a far distance, the, the, the idea of, of, of such a, a renewal. Uh, the realities of our day seem to be contrary and uh, we wonder about the future. Well, there were days like that in the past. Let me remind you a little of the history of here, of what we have here in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, not least. After the death of King Solomon in about 930 BC, the kingdom was divided. There were ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south, Israel and Judah. The southern tribes were generally more faithful than the northern tribes. And the northern tribes were defeated by the Assyrians about 722 BC and largely dispersed, never to return. You've probably heard of the ten lost tribes of Israel. Well, that, that, that is a, a generalization of, of the loss of territory of the, of the northern tribes. The southern tribes... Um, the southern tribes in 586 BC were conquered by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. We read about this in the book of Daniel, book of the prophet Daniel. Many Israelites were taken into captivity in Babylon at that time. And these disasters, why did they happen? Well, because the people were not faithful. The people were not faithful. They weren't faithful to the word of God, to the law of God. Here were a people delivered from Egypt and the Exodus and given the land of Canaan, but they failed to maintain God's truth. And so they so readily despised it and trampled it underfoot, egged on by worthless apostate leaders in the state and in the church. Do you recognize anything? Do you recognize the sort of context that we have here and how it's replicated in our own day with a church which is largely faithless and a, and a state which is godless and this is what happens when that is the that is the case they happen these disasters because of the faithfulness of the pe faithlessness of the people lack of faithful faithfulness so it pleased god that they should that 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 there should be a return to the land on the part of many who had been taken captive the first return was about 538 BC. Involved the, this involved the permission 
by the Persians who'd conquered the Babylonians that they returned to build the ruined temple in Cyrus, the decree of Cyrus. Go and go and return go and return to, to, to your land and build the temple. It was a remarkable it was a remarkable edict that he issued. So they returned to, to build rebuild the ruined temple. The, that that, that uh, rebuilding of the temple took some time, about 20 years, not because the work was so hard, although it was hard, but because they were half-hearted in their commitment. That was the truth of the matter. They were half-hearted in their commitment. So it took about 20 years to build, and it required the stimulus of, uh, of Haggai and Zechariah, uh, which we read in the book of Haggai, to finish the work of the completion of the temple building. That would be 518 BC or thereabouts. Now, there was another, there was another return of the exiles under Ezra around 457 BC and then also Nehemiah 445. Nehemiah's concern, specific concern, and he wasn't a priest or, as you say, a minister. He was, he was a layman, but a very powerful leader. He became a very powerful leader in the, in, in the matter of the renewal that took place in, uh, in Israel at that time. But uh, Nehemiah's concern was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were still broken down after the original defeat by, of the Babylonians uh, in 586 by the Babylonians in 586 BC. So the Lord used Nehemiah and used Ezra to stir up the people, not only to work in practical restoration work, but also to return to the Lord in faithful obedience and service. Because it was one thing to build the temple, rebuild the temple, one thing to rebuild the walls, but what was more important was the faithfulness of the people because it was a lack of faithfulness that had led to the temple being destroyed, to Jerusalem being largely overrun and the walls broken down. So the faithfulness of the people was the important thing. We also have within this story an experience of real awakening or revival. Nehemiah was the governor of the, of the restored community in Israel. We read this in verse 9 of this chapter. Uh, what we have in chapter 8 takes place after completing the, the building of the walls of Jerusalem. And that took just 52 days after Nehemiah's return in 445 BC. 52 days it took. There was a will in the work. And after a, a census... Of, the, of those who had returned to Jerusalem, which immediately followed the completion of the building of the walls. In, in chapter 8, we find ourselves with Ezra in the midst of a spiritual renewal. It's in the seventh month, which was the month of some great festivals, including the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in many respects the focus of this particular chapter. And no doubt it's the focus of this chapter because it involved joy. And joy would have been in the air, or should have been, after the completion of the walls of Jerusalem and in the seventh month. 
Now, as we observe the scene here, I'd like us to look at the first eight verses of this chapter and some of the features that we find in these verses of spiritual renewal, spiritual awakening. We may hope that this will encourage us to desire and work for such an awakening ourselves. In view of the low state of the church in our day, and who will question this, the low state of Christian faith among ourselves and in our society, this is the great need of the hour and something to which we must apply ourselves and not least in prayer. <coughs> Three things this morning. First of all, we notice the hunger there is for the word of God. Look at the first three verses and, 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 and ask yourself, what are these people doing? They, 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 spoke to, they spoke to Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, all who would hear and understand upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street, it was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So the people were gathered together as one man in the open square in front of the water gate. This was a very southern part of the city as it was then. The gathering took place just a few days after the completion of the building and rebuilding of the walls. There was an eagerness among the people. There was desire to praise God, the God of heaven. Oh, there was always such a spirit among the professed people of God. Oh, there was such a spirit among ourselves. Is there such a spirit among ourselves? There is a question. Let's by all means be eager for the worship of God, eager for the praise and thanksgiving to him for all his mercies and goodness. Let's never forget to give him the place that is his due in our lives. Are you giving him the place that is his due in your life? How do we know that they were eager, these people? Well, there are two things. First of all, they gathered as one man. They gathered as one man. They came together for this. They weren't herded like so many sheep. There was a willingness here. There was a desire for it. But they also, there was this. They asked Ezra to bring the book of the law and read it to them. They asked him for it. It wasn't as though they were, they were squirming under something that was being imposed upon them. They asked for this word to be read. They asked him, what does that tell us? It tells us they wanted to hear the word of God. I mean, you have to ask yourself, what happened to you this morning when you contemplated coming out of church? Was there that desire in your heart and in your mind to come just to hear the word of God? Just to be exposed to it? Because it is his word. And just remember, and this is something that that, that is uh, uh, perhaps something that we should bear in mind when we come to a passage like this in the Old Testament to speak about their experience. We have far more revelation than they had. They had the law of Moses. But we have the full revelation, including the New Testament revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore there is no excuse for us to have anything less than eagerness for the word of God because we have Christ's word not only in the Old Testament but in the New Testament as well. No reluctance on their part. 
and they knew what was necessary. It is the word of God we must hear. It is the word of God that we must hear. Here are signs of a stirring, signs of a spiritual renewal and revival, we may say. A new eagerness for the Lord, a new eagerness for the Lord, a concern to praise him and a desire for his words and his application in their lives, or at least to hear it. The application of their lives would come in their responsiveness to it, as we see here. May the Lord give us just such an appetite as this. An appetite for it. An appetite for the worship of God. An appetite for the praise of God. An appetite for the word of God. And for hearing it and applying it in our lives. How is it with you? How eager for the things of God and for the gatherings together for worship as one man, as it were. This is how it should be. Notice, there was no reluctance to listen. First of all, there was no reluctance to listen. After all, when Ezra read it, it was from morning till midday, probably from 9am till 12 noon. Three hours. And we may throw, throw up our hands and say, oh, too much, too much, we cry. And we even argue rather sadly that this thing was all right in the past, but not for us today somehow. Now, this is not to justify a sort of tedious presentation. No way. But we need to stir ourselves up to a ready listening. And the ready listening of the people and responsive of the people will have a corresponding a corresponding stimulus to those who bring the word of God and preach the word of God to you. We need to stir ourselves up to ready listening. But not only so, they were attentive. They were present, not just in body, not just in body, but also in mind and presumably spirit as well. We know they were attentive because we are told that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You may have heard of Daniel Defoe, who wrote a book called Robinson Crusoe. Maybe the young children here will have a copy of Robinson Crusoe. It's a wonderful book to read because of the experience it describes of the spiritual change that happened in Robinson Crusoe himself. But this is what Daniel Defoe said when he accompanied English commissioners to the Union of Parliaments meeting in Scotland in 1707. He noted the attitude of the people of Scotland at public worship. He noted the attitude of the people of people of Scotland in public worship. How eager the congregations were to sit under the preaching. It was, he said, and this is a quote, as though they wished to eat the words as they left the minister's mouth in a whole church full of people. Not one shall be seen without a Bible. If you shut your eyes when the minister names any text of scripture, you shall hear a little rustling noise over the whole place made by turning the leaves of the Bible. What how different things are in Scotland today. This is tragic. We're have been in the midst of a tragedy. This doesn't describe Scotland anymore. I remember in my young days in Edinburgh, in the early 50s, the bells of the, the, bells of the city were, were pealing all over the city. It's the only sound you could hear on a Sabbath morning. And people were churning out to church. Great numbers. Thousands, thousands. My local congregation was one of nine in the area and there were about six, 600 people in the congregation. The flaw was, the flaw was, they didn't get the gospel. Everywhere, anyway. Well, I never heard the gospel. It was nominal. And it's destroyed the church largely in Scotland. But oh, that this would be represented. They wished to eat the words as they left the minister's mouth. 
dear friends, eager and attentive. But certainly, not only is there hunger for the word, but there is reverence for the word. In these verses, we have a picture. We, we picture a very solemn scene. The word is read as they have desired. They are attentive and they are eager. They are reverent too. How do we know? Well, there are several particulars concerning reverence, and this is to do with responsiveness to it. A hunger for the word, but a responsiveness to it. It's one thing to hear and to have a hunger for it, but there needs to be a response. They were speaking. There was there is a speaking from a raised pulpit of wood, as it is as it is translated in the authorized version, specially made for the purpose. We read in verse four. Now this speaks of what? It speaks of a prominent place being given to the word. In our traditions, this is how our meeting places have been arranged: a central pulpit to stress to stress the importance of the word and centrality of the word. The Reformed congregations objected to side pulpits because they symbolically diminished the centrality of the word displaced by an altar or sacrament which was central in such places, the ritualistic ch churches. But, but, but that, that diminishes, diminishes the word it, 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 because these things, the, the sacraments are, are, are not above the word. The word is above the sacraments. It's a sad day when preaching is diminished and shunted off to the side. In so many of our, even of our Presbyterian churches nowadays, that by the way. But they're, they're speaking from a central position, from a raised pulpit, and reading the word of God. But there's a disposition of the people. We mentioned this already in a sense. I mean, consider the disposition of the people when they hear the word. Are they indifferent they're not indifferent. No way. Are they impatient? No way. What happened when the word was opened? The people stood up. The people stood up. Why? Spontaneous respect and awe. Indeed, this is one of the reasons why we stand for prayer. Reverence. And there is to be an equivalent, equivalent disposition attending it. Standing in the presence of God. It seems sadly a thing of the past. When a lady came into the room where one, once upon a time, the men would still stand up. There was respect. These people had respect for the Lord's word, which is even more important. But then there was this. There was the worship offered. We have this in verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And there is something else too. We have it in verse 9. Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, that is the governor, Ezra, the priest of the scribe, the scribe, the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, more not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. All the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. They blessed God. The answer to Ezra's reading, Amen, Amen. Now we are more restrained. Are we better for it? Judge for yourself. See these people though. See these people. 
The word produced a reaction, response in their hearts and in their lives. They can't help themselves. They must bow their heads. They lift their hands as, as if in a benediction. We have, to, we have to distinguish this, incidentally, from what the charismatics do, the sort of things they do. It's a question of whether they're doing it for the reason or in a way that these people did it under the hearing of the word of J in Jerusalem that day. But that again, by, by the way, at least we know that they were touched by the power of the word of God. What they were hearing, they were full of reverence. This is humility before God. But not only is that humility, there was the tears. They wept, they wept when they heard the words of the law. How often does this happen in our experience? Has it ever happened in your experience? Has it ever happened in your experience? This is a people who know they are in his presence. And they have far less, they had far less revelation than we have. Far less knowledge of the Messiah. We know he came. And he suffered. And he died upon a cross to save us from our sins. We have the record of the apostles, the acts of the apostles, the letters of Paul, the apocalyptic literature. We have no excuse. But here there is this humility which in some ways will put us to shame. Here are the tears which put us to shame. Here's the people who know his presence. How should we hear the word? Well, one old Scottish divine put it this way. We should look upon it as a golden epistle. The word. Indi in 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 indicted by the Spirit of God. We should receive it as a love letter from heaven, opening up God's designs of love to your souls. We should go to it as for our daily food and subsistence and daily inquire in it for the will of God. We should read with faith, reverence and application to ourselves and in reading every part we should still keep Christ in our eye as the end, scope and substance of the whole scriptures. Reverence for the word of God. then there is a clear communication of the word. We have this in verses 7 and 8. A clear communication of the word. This, is, this at least is the design of the reading and preaching of the word. Namely, that the Bible should be read clearly understood. Now, the preaching, of course, can only say so much. Half an hour, 40 minutes, something like that, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter. As long as it's faithful and not tedious and not un unsound. But questions must be asked about what this or that means. Here we see Ezra reading the word, the law of Moses. But he and a faithful band of helpers, elders in our present context, explain things that the people found difficult. They were helped to understand. 
Today we have ministers and elders in the church for this purpose. There are other helps as well. Abundance of them these days. It's amazing that we are in such a period of declension and yet have more Christian literature than has ever been produced ever in the history of the church. But it is there and some of it is uh, not inexpensive, not too pricey. We need to be students of the word, serious about it, if we would make progress in faithfulness and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are to grow in grace and in piety, Christian piety. You don't hear that term very much now. I don't know what piety is evident nowadays within the churches. What these verses teach us is the importance of the message. This isn't something to be confused about. On the one hand, from the hearer's point of view, there must be understanding. There must be understanding. Several verses here. Verse 2. Um, the priest brought the law before the congregation, both the men and women, and all that could hear with understanding from the first day of the week. Read, re, he read therein before the street, it was before the water gate from morning till day, before men and women, and those who could understand. The ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verses 7 and 8 as well, of course. These Levites and the others caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they, did, they read from the book of the law of God distinctly, gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. There must be understanding. And on the other hand, from the preacher's point of view or from the elder's point of view, there, need, there is need to be clear that is what we find obviously in verse 8 there. They read the book of the Lord distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That means, of course, that ministers and elders must be uh, attuned to it, must be able to do it, able to teach, apt to teach and instruct when people uh, inquire. Ezra and his helpers read distinctly. They gave the sense. They helped the, the comprehension of it. You see, it has to do with our never-dying souls. The message is that important. It has to do with our never-dying souls. It has to do with salvation of your soul. It is about your Saviour, about the Saviour, the only Saviour. And therefore, we dare not get it wrong or miss the message. Well, I spoke at the beginning that we should, of what we should earnestly desire. A restoration, revival of true biblical faith. And there's a sense in which here is where it starts. Just this sort of situation. This is where it starts. After all, it is possible because Christ is this mediator the Saviour, the same yesterday, today and forever. His power, and the power of the Holy Spirit, is undiminished, undiminished. And if this is to happen, what do we need? We need to recover serious reading 
and hearing and application of the word of God. Why should that not occur? Why should that not occur? It's only our lack of willingness and responsiveness that will hinder such a thing. Therefore, pray the Lord that he would take away these hindrances and any unwillingness and any lack of zeal and enthusiasm and eagerness to know the word and put yourselves into the position of these people gathering as like one man uh, that day of the seventh month before the water gate. Therefore, let us put aside such hindrances. Let us come to Christ and seek his spirit, seek the spirit and apply ourselves to the hearing and application of the word in our lives. This is the precursor of a great work amongst them. This is the precursor of a great work amongst ourselves. Let us be stirred to give no place in our lives to half-heartedness or to remain without a saving interest in Christ. God forbid. Let us be rather a dedicated people, not hesitant, not hesitant to confess Christ and follow Christ. Let us be a people responsive to the word. In short, a willing people in a day of his power, I believe it, this will be followed by rejoicing. We have this here. This day is holy unto the Lord our God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. May the Lord bless these thoughts upon his word. Let us pray. <coughs> our loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word and pray that the Spirit would bless it to our hearts. Help us to be responsive to thy word ever. That, Lord our God, we may walk in thy ways steadfastly. Help us in this, Lord, we pray that we be people of the book, people of the word. And Lord, grant that thou wouldst forgive us all our lack of diligence in these things and stir our hearts to renewal. Forgive us all our sin. Receive us graciously. Love us freely. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Let us sing in praise to the Lord, finally, Psalm 135, and from the beginning to verse 5. Psalm 135. Praise ye the Lord, the Lord's name praise, his servants praise ye God, who stand in God's house in the courts of our God make abode. Praise ye the Lord, for he is good. Unto him praises sing. Sing praises to his name, because it is a pleasant thing. Down to verse 5, to the praise of the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, the Lord's name praise.
Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.